Amen. Get your Bibles out. Now, how many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm going to give my undivided attention to the Word of God today? Raise your hand. Well, that's almost all of you. Let's try it again. How many is with Pastor Josh that you're just going to give your undivided attention to the Word of God today? You're going to do that? And uh, because I got a special word for you, and I want you to open your hearts and your ears and listen to what I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. Amen. So if you take your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 9 and verse 22. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 22. Amen. And let's, let's look at what the Lord wants to say to us today. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. If you're there, say, I'm there. Come on, I'm a participatory preacher. All right? If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, Hebrews 9, verse 22. And I'm starting a sermon series today called, What's the Big Deal About Easter? Everybody say that with me. What's the big deal about Easter? Come on, say it again. What's the big deal about Easter? So for the next four Sunday mornings, we're going to be exploring the, uh, we're going to be exploring Easter because Easter, I mean, Easter is right around the corner. My goodness, it's, Time is flying. This is 2018, and we're all getting younger and beautiful. Boy, I heard a lot of amen, Sister LaDonna, on that one. They wouldn't say amen to the Bible, but they said amen to that. <laughs> I said, we're all getting younger and beautiful. Now, are you there yet? All right. So next four weeks, we're going to do what's the big deal about Easter, and we're going to look at uh, different aspects of the Easter story for the next four weeks on Sunday morning. And then, of course, on Easter Sunday morning, I'm going to preach a sermon called The Joke is on You because it's April Fool's and we're going to just know how the devil was fooled 2,000 years ago. So you don't want to miss Easter because we're going to have a great time. So what's the big deal about Easter is what we're going to look at. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. This morning, just for a few moments, I want to preach on what's the big deal about the blood of Jesus? What's the big deal about the blood of Jesus? Lord, we ask you to open our ears and our hearts that we would hear your word today. I pray that your word would go forth in power and in boldness and that everything that is said and everything that is done, Lord, may bring you the glory. And everyone said a great big amen. What's the big deal about the blood of Jesus? Most of you have heard this song before. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. What can make me whole again? Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done but nothing but the blood of Jesus. What's the big deal about Easter? I think the blood of Jesus 
is a pretty big deal. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I want to explain to you just for a few moments why I believe. Now, if you don't stay with me, it's possible you can get lost in the wilderness. So you've got to stay with Pastor Josh this morning and pay very close attention because I want to explain some things to you about the blood of Jesus. But before I do that, before you understand the significance of the blood of Jesus, it's important that I lay some groundwork because you will never truly appreciate the value and the significance of the blood of Jesus if you don't first understand the problem. Everyone shout the problem. You will never understand the significance of the blood of Jesus. You will never understand the value of the blood of Jesus if you don't understand the problem. Somebody shout the problem. Now, the short answer to the problem this morning is that our sin has separated us from a holy God. That's a short answer. Our sin has separated us from a holy God. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, and I quote, God said to the first, our first parents, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you should not eat it. For in the day that you eat of the fruit will be the day that you surely die. Now look at the phrase, you shall surely die. You see that phrase? Ye shall surely die. It's the Hebrew phrase which means this. Dying shall surely die. Dying you shall surely die. In other words, you're going to die physically, but you're going to die also spiritually. So the day that they ate of the fruit, the day that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, something happened. Something climaxed in, in, uh, in human history. There was an epiphany that happened. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they rebelled against the Word of God and they fell into sin. And according to this scripture, not only did they die physically, but something else died inside of them and it is their spirit. It is the human spirit died. That is why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Something has to come alive again on the inside of a person. You see, so they died physically and they died spiritually. The day you eat of the fruit will be the day that you surely die. When they ate of the fruit and rebelled against God, they instantly died spiritually. They were separated from God and their relationship with God was broken. A holy God and a sinful people. They were separated. There was division there. And as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, the whole world was plunged into sin. Adam and Eve sinned and got us in the mess that we got ourselves in. I'm sure if Adam and Eve never sinned, somebody else would have sinned. But they sinned and rebelled against God and as a result of that, you and I are born sinners. We are born sinners. Our very nature is sinful. Now it's important that you grasp this truth. When you are born, you're born a sinner. The Bible records that because of what Adam and Eve did, you are born into sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, and I quote, Therefore, just as though one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. Because of what Adam and Eve did, we're all sinners. 
David went ahead and said in Psalm 51 and verse 5, he, he said this, he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He was born into sin. His nature is sinful. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 14 verse number 2, David pens these words, The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there is any who understands and seeks God. The Bible says they've all turned aside. They all together has become corrupt and there is no one that does good, not even one. So when you are born into the world, you are born a sinner. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 13, the prophet declared it like this. He said in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 13, he said, truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. He said they're full of evil. Verse number 3, they're full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. He said men are evil. Men are full of madness. How many has ever met somebody full of madness before? They're full of evil. They're full of madness. The Bible says, the apostle said in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1, he said, by nature... We are children of wrath. We are dead in our sins. We are dead in our trespasses. Verse 3, we are nature, by very nature, we are children of wrath. We are born into sin. The Bible says in Job chapter 15, verse number 14, Job 15 verse 14, Job penned these words. I think it's interesting. I've never seen it like this before, but Job asked a question. He said, who is man that he could be pure? And, and who is born of a woman that he could be, be righteous? He goes on and say, he says, if God puts no trust in his saints and the heavens are not pure in his sight, how much less than man who is an abominable and filthy, who drinks iniquity like water, you see, Job made a clear statement here. He said, or God made a clear statement here that men are filthy. Men drink. They drink iniquity like water. Now let me ask you a question. Because we are living in a, in a society that don't want to accept this truth. But let me ask you a question and I want you to answer it. If humanity is not born in sin... Wouldn't we expect there to be some people who would beat the odds and never sinned? I mean, if, if we are not born into sin, then wouldn't you expect somebody out of the 7 billion people in the world, wouldn't you expect somebody to be sinless? Number two, if we are born innocent and we are born good, as our philosophical teachers would teach us today, we're all born innocent and good, if that's true, then why aren't there at least some people who would have continued in the state of sinlessness? But you see, the apostle said, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Are you hearing me? We've all sinned. Now let me say this and let me say it loud and clear. I'm not against laws. I'm not against rules. I'm not against regulations. I think they're important. I'm not against therapy. I'm not against counseling. I'm not against a seven-step program. I'm not against rehab. I'm not against rehabilitation centers. I'm not against all of that because I believe that some of those things can make us discover within ourselves what the problem is and they can be beneficial. But let me say this. 
it is only beneficial to a certain extent. Laws, rules, and regulations, therapy, all of that's good, but it's only good to a certain extent because all of them are just, all of them are, are treating the symptom of the problem. All of that is treating the cobwebs, and we have forgot there's a spider loose. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't have a gun problem. We have a sin problem. We have a sin problem. We don't have a porn problem. We don't have a drug problem. We don't have an adultery problem. We don't have a gambling problem. We don't have a divorce problem. We don't have a murder problem. We don't have a gossip problem. We don't have a sex problem. We have a sin problem because our very nature is sinful. Can somebody help me say amen? We have a sin problem. Let's not make excuses for it any longer. Did you hear me? Let's not make excuses for it any longer. Let's not sit around and put it under the carpet. I mean, we've gotten so, we've gotten so dignified with our sin that no longer do we call alcoholism a sin any longer. Alcoholism is now, quote, quote, called a disease. It's not a choice. Compulsive liars are not sinners. Compulsive liars, they're just merely extroverts with lively imaginations. Murderers, bless their heart, because nobody in prison ever did anything wrong. Murderers are no longer murderers. You know what they are? They're just victims of their tortured psychological past. Adultery is no longer sin. It's accepted in Hollywood and even in the church. It gives primetime TV more ratings. Divorce is no longer a sin. We call people bishop now who's been divorced about six times. The scripture says if you can't control your own house, how are you going to control the house of God? So we just like to put labels on our sin, but I know I'm in my 30s, I'm, I'm a little old-fashioned, you know, I have an old soul, I'm from the wrong side of the tracks, but I'm still a gospel preacher. And I am a little old-fashioned, but i got to tell this generation that sin is still sin, and the wages of sin is still death, and the gift of God is eternal life. Repent! and believe the gospel. I said repent and believe the gospel. I believe that sin will bite you like a serpent when it's over. Proverbs 23 and 32. Sin is like a mouth filled with gravel. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 17. There is pleasure in sin for a season. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 25. When sin is full grown, it brings forth death. 
James chapter 1, verse 15. The payment of sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Romans 6 and 23. The scripture says, There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Proverbs 14, verse 12. Sin is like a credit card. You can enjoy it now, baby, but you got to pay for it later. Sin will take you further you want to go, make you stay longer than you want to stay, and make you pay longer than you want to pay. It's time we declare the gospel, and that is to repent and believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your household shall be saved. We have a sin problem. I'm all for rules, regulations. I'm all for it. Let's not forget we got a sin problem. John Wesley, that great revivalist in the 18th century, before he went into full-time ministry, wrote his mother a letter and said to his mother, Mother, his mother was Susanna, what is sin? His mother wrote back and said, John, take this as a rule. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, and takes off your relish of spiritual things. In short, John, whatever increases the strength and the authority of your body over your mind, that is sin to you, John, however innocent it may be. Let me ask this church a question. What is impeding on the tenderness of conscience? What keeps you up at night? What sin is plaguing your heart and your mind? The only remedy for that is repentance. The only remedy is that is to admit your sin before a holy God and repent of it and the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all of your sin. You see, you will never understand the value of the blood of Jesus. You will never understand the significance of the blood of Jesus if you first don't understand the problem. And the problem is, is that sin has separated us from God and we have a sin problem. We like to get up and shout about the blood of Jesus, but we first must understand the problem. Why is the blood shed? Why is it important? Why is it significant? Our sin has separated us from a holy God. It's broke our fellowship with God. Our covenant is broken. We are alienated from God himself. The prophet said in Isaiah 59 verse 2, but your iniquity has separated you from your God and your sins has caused God to hide His face from you. That's the problem. The problem is, is we are sinful. And it has broken our fellowship with God Almighty. The Scripture says He's holy. And if you want to approach God, you too must be holy. You too must be holy. I know it's not popular in this generation, but God is calling a holy people. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. We have, we have mocked absolute truth, have we not? We have mocked absolute truth and we've called it tolerance. We have endorsed perversion and we've called it an alternative, alternative lifestyle. We have neglected the needy and the poor and we've called it self-preservation. We have rewarded laziness. We've called it the welfare system. We have killed our unborn and we've called it a choice. 
We've neglected to discipline our children and we've called it building self-esteem. We have abused power and we've called it confidence. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and we've called it freedom of expression. We have ignored the time-honored values of our forefathers and somehow now we say we have been enlightened to a new truth. God help us. What we need today is not another prosperity preacher who gets up and takes another offering and sways the congregation with his flattery words. We don't need another six-foot icicle roaming around the pulpit. We don't need another dead sermonette preaching to a bunch of dead folks. What we need is a revival that will shake the gates of hell and put the church back on the course to greatness. We need a revival in the White House. We need a revival in the church house. We need a revival in the crack house. And we need a revival in the whole house. We need a revival of repentance. Woo! We have a sin problem. It's a sin problem. Your iniquity has separated us from God Almighty. You will never appreciate the value of the blood of Jesus unless you understand there is a problem. Now, since you're here, let me give you the solution. There's a problem. Now, what is the solution? The solution to our problem. You're sinful and cannot help yourself. You can tell yourself, don't do that, don't watch it, don't look at it, I'm never going to do it ever again. But the problem is you're sinful and you go right back to it. You can't help yourself. But God has a solution. I'm trying to stay real calm up here, but I feel really excited. Because <laughs> every time you talk about a solution, it reminds me that we're not helpless and hopeless. God hasn't forgotten about us. There is a solution to man's problem. So the solution is, the solution is, God said, I am going to establish a sacrificial system. Now, some people don't like a, a bloody religion, but Genesis chapter 4 Verse 4, Genesis 4, verse 4, they'll have it behind me. At the, very, at the very beginning of Scripture, it seems as though God was requiring some sort of sacrifice. Abel brings something to the Lord, the first fruits of, of his flock to the Lord. He brought an animal to the Lord. Most theologians believe he probably sacrificed it on the altar. So the concept started very early that if I am guilty and I worship a God, I must give him something because of my guilt. So in this scripture, he's given something because of worship. He's bringing something. There was some kind of sacrifice, some kind of offering to the Lord. The Lord started establishing this. The book of Leviticus 17 verse 11. Look at it. Leviticus 17 verse 11. Look at the phrase here. Leviticus 17 verse 11. And I want you to see here what God is saying. He says, for the life of the flesh is in the what? The life of the flesh is in the what? For I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your what? To make atonement for your what? Souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So God very early said, I'm going to deal with your sin, but the way I'm going to deal with it is through blood. 
And the blood is going to make atonement for your sin. It's going to cover your sin. Leviticus 4 verse 20. You see this sacrificial system was implemented. He said, and you shall do with the bull, an animal, as you did with the bull as a sin offering, thus he shall do it with it, so the priest will make atonement for them, and you'll be forgiven. So, what was God's solution to people's sin in the Old Testament? A sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. You take an animal, you sacrifice it, that blood would atone the sins of the people. Now, look at the word atone there. Leviticus 4 verse 20. Leviticus 4 verse 20. Look at it. It will make atonement. Do you know what the word atonement means? To cover. So in other words, the blood sacrifices in the Old Testament only covered the sin. It did not remove the sin. Let me say it again. The blood offerings in the Old Testament, covered the sin. It did not take it away. It was a temporary fix. It only covered the sin. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4, the writer said in Hebrews 10 verse 4, he was very, very clear about the sacrificial system. He said, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away your sin. It could cover it up but it cannot take it away. The blood of bulls and goats only covered it up. It only put a blanket over it. It didn't take your sin away. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 and verse 11, and I quote, and every priest stands ministering in the Old Testament, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. So the sacrificial system of the Old Testament was a band-aid for their problem. It was a band-aid for the sin problem. It only covered their sin. It didn't take their sin away. Now let me ask you a question. Why did God choose animals to cover the sins of people? Let me ask you a question again. Why did God use animals to cover up or atone the sins of the people. Well, number one, the reason that God used animals was because, number one, animals have no capacity to sin. You don't see an animal out sinning today. You don't see him out the bar and just using profanity and have his heels kicked up. Animals have no capacity to sin. Listen, what is sin? Sin is twofold. You miss the mark, or number two, it's transgression against a known law. How can animals sin if they don't know what a law is? There are no laws to govern animals. Written laws, they don't understand. Sin is the transgression of laws. Laws are not given to animals. They have no capacity of reasoning or having a sense of what is wrong. Animals don't know what sin is. So guess what? Animals are innocent. They did not rebel in the garden. Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden.
So let me ask this church a question. Are animals innocent? They cannot sin. So guess what? God said take innocent blood and the innocent blood is going to cover up the guilty person. Innocent blood will cover up the innocent person. Now, I'm about ready to get somewhere. You ready for this? Now the question is, why did the blood of animals only cover up sin and not take it away? You ready for it? Let me ask you a question. Why did the blood of animals only cover sin and not take it away? If animals cannot sin and their blood is innocent, then wouldn't you think that God could use that blood to take away your sin instead of just covering it up? The reason for it is threefold. Number one, the reason that the blood of animals only covered sin and did not take sin away because number one, they are not human. They are not equal to human, so therefore it's not a complete full payment. It's not equal in value. Their blood is innocent, but they are not equal to humans, so it's not a full payment. It just covered it up. It's, it's, they're not equal to humans, number one. Number two, humans, if they're guilty, has to have another human in same value to pay for their sin. And animals is not the same value as humans. So it only covered up the sin. Number two, the blood would die after a while. So that's why the priest every year on the Day of Atonement had to take an animal, slice its neck, take the blood, and put it on the mercy seat year after year after year. The priest would stand and do the same sacrifice year after year. Why did he do it? Because the blood of animals would die upon the altar. The blood of animals was not incorruptible. It was corruptible. The blood of animals would die. It didn't have a saving effect. It would have to be done year after year. Number three, the reason that the blood of animals only covered sin and not take it away is because what God was trying to do, he was trying to, to teach the people that this was a type and shadow of things to come. That God was going to send somebody else in a human form that could be equal to humans but yet perfect and his blood is not corruptible. His blood is incorruptible so he's equal in value. His blood never dies and he will fulfill what the prophets... So the prophets understood that Sacrificing animals did not solve the problem. The prophet in Deuteronomy 32 verse 43. Deuteronomy 32 verse 43. Deuteronomy 32 verse 43. I want you to look at what the prophet said here. He was saying, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with your people, for he will avenge the blood of his service and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. The prophet was making a statement that, listen, God is going to make atonement. God is going to take care of our sin. God is going to provide atonement for it. He's going to take care of it. They understood that the sacrificial system was not and into itself, it was just a type and shadow of what was to come. 
And so what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. You can never understand the value and the significance of the blood of Jesus unless you understand there's a problem. And the problem is we're sinful. And we are sinful by nature. We can't help ourselves. We have been separated from God. But God had a solution. And the solution was He was going to develop a sacrificial system and use innocent blood to cover the guilty party. But that, did, that was not perfect. It was a type and shadow of things to come. It, it was imperfect. But God was trying to establish a type and shadow of what He was going to do in His Son, Jesus Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, God said what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my own Son in the form of a human because in order for human sin to be paid for, it's got to be equal in value. So I'm going to be a human, and I'm going to be born of a virgin. Why was he born of a virgin? Because he did not receive the corruptible sin nature of Adam and Eve. If he was born through a sexual union between Adam and Eve, or if, if between Mary and Joseph, he would receive the same nature as Adam and Eve. That is why the angel Gabriel came unto the woman and said, Behold, Mary, you have found grace with the Lord, and you will conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Mary said, How can this be? How can it be since I've never been with a man? How can this be since I've never had sexual intercourse with a man? And the angel said, The Holy Ghost will come upon you, and what you carry will be from the Most High. Why was he born of a virgin? He was born of a virgin so that he did not have the same blood as Adam and Eve and he would not inherit the same corruptible, sinful nature of Adam and Eve. He missed it all. Born of a virgin. Born in a human body. Gave his life on the tree and his blood is not corruptible. His blood is in corruptible. He don't have to die every year. His blood still speaks on the mercy seat of God. Hallelujah. For we do not have a high priest. Hebrews 4.15 that we cannot, he cannot sympathize with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. He's without sin. He is perfect. He's a human. He's not an animal. He's human. He's equal in value in the human nature. He could atone your sin. Hebrews 7 verse 26. Hebrews 7 verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us. Jesus, who is holy, who is harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners. He has become higher than the heavens. Hallelujah. Who does not need, listen to what the scripture says, who does not need daily as those other priests who offered up sacrifices, first for his own sin and then for his people. For this he did once for all when he offered himself up. Why could he do it? He was without sin. Woo. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Peter 1 and verse 18. Listen to what 
the writer said about the blood of Jesus, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. Verse 18 says, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ without blemish and without spot. You know what the writer said? He said there are some corruptible things like silver and gold. Corruptible things that die, that fade away. He, he said, but there is something that's incorruptible. There is something that lives forever. There is something that speaks to every generation. There is something that lives beyond anything you could ever think. It is not like a corruptible thing. It is incorruptible. It is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I'm about to get excited up in this church this morning. Not with bulls and goats, Hebrews 9:12. Not with bulls and goats or calves, but with his own blood. He entered into the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Hallelujah. Hebrews 10, verse 12. But this man. Hebrews 10:12, but this man, he offered one sacrifice forever. He sat down at the right hand of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus died on the cross, took his body down off the cross, wrapped it in linen cloth, laid it in a rich man's tomb as women wept over the dead body of our Lord. The scripture says in Ephesians 5 that his spirit descended into the lower parts of the earth. He preached unto the captives. The Bible says he that descended, Ephesians 5, is he, Ephesians 4, 12, is he that ascended. He went down to the lower parts of the earth and preached, kept, preached unto the captives. And he led those matriarchs out of paradise. He led, he led David out. He led Abraham out. He, lay, he led Sarah out. Those were waiting for the redemption of their souls. He led them out and led them unto heaven. You see, when you died in the Old Testament, even though you believed in the law and you believed in the sacrificial system and the blood would cover your sin, you went down into the lower parts of the earth it was called Abraham's bosom. Luke 16, the rich man opened his eyes in hell and looked over and saw Abraham. When you died in the Old Testament, you went down to Abraham's bosom, to a holding place. But when Jesus died on Calvary, Jesus took his blood and he went to the heavenly tabernacle in heaven. There was a tabernacle in heaven because that's where Moses got the pattern to make it on earth. Because whatever happened on earth was a type and shadow of what was happening or going to happen in heaven. The priest would make sacrifices on earth because it was a shadow and a foreshadow of what was getting ready to take place. The priest would offer bulls and goats and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. God would atone their sins year after year. But God is saying it's not a perfect sacrifice. It's a type and shadow. 
I'm going to send somebody equal in value. I'm going to send somebody that their blood is not being corrupted by the Adamic nature of Adam. I'm going to send somebody that is equal and their blood is incorruptible and they're going to fulfill the type and the shadow of what you see that the priest is doing in the Old Testament. So everything that was going on on earth was a type and shadow of what was getting ready to happen in heaven. The priest would offer sacrifices on earth and God would atone the sins of the people. Jesus died on Calvary and went down to paradise and took those captives out of paradise, took the saints of old out of paradise and brought them to heaven. And what did he do in heaven? He took his own blood. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, he appeared before God, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but he appeared before God with his own blood. Jesus took his own blood to the heavenly tabernacle and put the blood on the mercy seat of heaven just like the priest did it on earth we had a heavenly priest that did it in heaven and atoned the sin of heaven and earth hallelujah oh hallelujah I'm telling you today the Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, but we walk, we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Romans 5, verse 9. Much more than this, we have been justified by his blood and we are saved from the wrath to come. We're saved. Ephesians 1, 7. In Him, we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Romans 12, verse 11. You've heard it all your life. The Bible says, And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, Revelation 12, 11, they overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Hallelujah. How do they overcome the enemy? They overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. They didn't overcome the enemy by negotiating with him. They didn't overcome the enemy by reading a book. They overcome the enemy because they knew that the blood of the Lamb had won the victory for him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now we are in Christ. You were once far away, but you have been brought near because of the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. 1 John 3, 5. I'm almost done. 1 John 3, 5. Listen to what the apostle said. And you know he was manifested. To take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. You see? The blood of bulls and goats covered it. But the blood of Jesus now takes our sin away. I'm going to say that again because it's worth saying. The blood of goats only temporarily took care of the problem. The blood of animals only temporarily took care of the problem. But now the incorruptible blood of Jesus removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. Never to be remembered again. 
It removes your sin. Why is the enemy bringing up your sin? There's nothing to bring up. It's been removed. It's been cast into the sea of forgetfulness. Quit walking with your head down. Quit acting like the blood of Jesus has no value as significance in your life. Why are you walking around talking about your sin? Why are you walking around thinking that you have no value? Why are you walking around dwelling on your past sins and mistakes? That is a spirit of the Lucifer. That is the enemy coming to you, nagging you and bogging you down with the sins of your life. But I've come to let you know today that the blood of Jesus don't just cover your sin. The blood of Jesus removes your sin. There's nothing to be remembered. There's nothing to be brought up. Is there anybody in the building that can wave your hand today and say, I thank God for the blood of Jesus? Hallelujah. I thank God for the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Down at the cross where my Savior died. Down where cleansing from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. I am so wondrously saved from sin. Jesus so sweetly abides within. There at the cross where he took me in. Glory to his name. Oh, precious, oh, precious, oh, precious is the fountain that saves me from sin. I am so glad I have entered in. There Jesus saves me and keeps me clean. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Come to this fountain so rich and sweet. Cast your poor soul at the Savior's feet. Plunge in today and may be made complete. Glory to his name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you saved this morning? Have you been redeemed this morning? I'm not talking about coming down here and confessing a prayer and getting up and leaving the church and going right back to the mess that you came from. I'm talking about having a genuine conversion. I'm, I'm tired. I've seen people come to the front and pray in a prayer and it doesn't change their life. And you know what the Holy Spirit spoke to me one time? He said, the reason that's happening is because you're preaching a faulty gospel. You're, you're having people to compromise. You preach the truth, and I'll use the truth as a sword, and I will convict them. Quit watering down the word. Quit compromising the word. Stand up and declare the word and let the word. Are you saved? Are you saved? Are you redeemed? Has the blood been applied to your heart? Are you saved from your sins? Have you got the assurance that if I died today, heaven would be my home? Are you playing with sin this morning? Are you shutting the door at night and doing things you shouldn't be doing? Are you playing around with things you shouldn't be playing around with? Are you secretly doing? What are you doing? What's, what's impeding the tenderness of your conscience? Repent. Believe the gospel. There is a solution to your problem. There's hope for your problem. There's a stripe that still heals. 
There's a grave that's still empty. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. There is still hope beyond the scope of human limitation. The blood. God, why did He choose to do it this way? Because He's God. He wanted to demonstrate His love to the world. And that's how He demonstrated His love to the world. He became one of us. One of us that didn't have a problem. All of us got a problem. We need a solution. He came as a human with no problem. He didn't inherit the nature of Adam and Eve. Sin wasn't passed to him. He was the God-man. Gave his life, his blood for the world. What's so... What's, 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 what's a big deal? What's the big deal about Easter? What's the big deal about the blood of Jesus? I'll tell you what the big deal is. It's the solution to man's problem. 